0: Romans chapter 10, we have, uh, let me just kind of bring you back up up to speed. You, let, I know I just had you stand up. You may be seated. I need to take a minute and kind of let you know where we are. I didn't teach in the book of Romans all of the month of December. We had things going on every Sunday morning. So it's been the last Sunday of November since we were in this this study, and I want to kind of pick back up and kind of remind you where we come from, where we're going. It is my New Year's resolution to try to get through the Book of Romans, or very close to the end of the Book of Romans, in 2016. Amen. <laughs> we started this study in very late August, early or very late September, early October of 2013. That means we've been in the Book of Romans all of 2014 and all of 2016. Our 2015 and now heading into 2016. It is not my goal to move so fast that I lose the focus of what we've been doing. I don't don't intend to stop breaking it down to where it can be understood verse by verse. I am going to try to pick up the pace just a little bit if that's okay. Amen. I'd like to be moving to another book of the New Testament sometime before I turn 50. Amen. So where we are in Romans chapter 10, we've just finished verses 9 and 10, where we discuss the word of faith that 8, 9 and 10, where we discuss the word of faith that Paul preached and how it saves us. And now that we've discussed the fact that Paul preached this word of faith and it saves us, we turn to discussion of the universal nature of the gospel, the message that Paul and the New Testament church preached was not an exclusive message. It was to whosoever will believe and call upon the name of the Lord. And I will reiterate again, as I did back when we dealt with Romans 9, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, uh, that the instruction to believe and call upon the name of the Lord is not A separate message of salvation that is different than what Peter preached in the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Believing in Jesus and calling upon him are simple terms that sum up the whole of the biblical instructions regarding salvation. In order to be saved, one must believe and believing includes obeying the gospel. Belief will lead to repentance. Belief will lead to the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, particularly in water baptism, which is to be administered in the name of Jesus Christ, declaring that he is Lord. And without faith, it is impossible to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is the gospel message. That is the word of faith. That Paul preached, that Peter preached, that James preached, that Andrew preached, that all of the New Testament disciples preached, and they preached the same message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection. The point now is that this message is effective for everyone who will hear it and obey it. I've already had you stand to be seated. I'll, I'll allow you just to remain seated. I'm going to read the text real quick. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 11, says, "For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed." For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon his name. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's where we'll stop this morning, verses 11 through 17. Amen. I'm going to start in verse 11. I'll read it again just to set the context. It said, For the scripture saith, 'Whoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed.' Okay, first of all, the theme of this passage is that salvation is for everyone. The Jew has the same opportunity as the Gentile, not all will believe. In fact, Many will not believe, some will reject the gospel, some will fail to truly believe in Jesus, some will even go so far as to deny him, but all will have the same opportunity to believe on him, to obey his word, and to be saved. Paul says that everyone who truly believes on him will not be put to shame or will not be ashamed. The meaning that is being conveyed by that phrase, not to be put to shame, is that they will not be disappointed. Their faith will not be in vain. In the end, their faith will be validated. God will save all of those who truly believe. In him, They're not going to believe in vain. Amen. They're not going to obey the gospel and allow that faith in God to produce in them a life of godliness, holiness, and righteousness in vain. God will make sure that their faith is validated. Amen. As we've emphasized over and over again, true faith is faith that results in obedience. Those who believe on him will obey his word at their initial conversion experience and then they will continue to manifest their faith in word and in deed as they live their lives. Genuine belief is not just a moment of faith that results in an initial conversion experience. It is what motivates us, not just to be converted, not just to change our direction, not just to surrender our lives to God, but to continue to live a life of righteousness and godliness, believing that our faith will be validated. Maybe not right now. Maybe the world will mock me. Maybe they will laugh at me. Maybe they'll point their finger at me and they will make fun. My faith may not be validated now, but it will be validated when he returns. Amen. He's going to make sure that I'm not disappointed in the fact that I put my faith in him. Amen. So a life of faith is not just an initial, I believe in the Lord Jesus and then I'm saved forevermore. It's a it's a conversion that leads to a life that grows out of. It's the living out of my faith in in Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a life that that produces the fruit of my faith, that, that produces the fruit of believing in him. And that kind of life will not be disappointed when Jesus comes again. Verse 12 says, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Once again, Reiterating the main point of the passage, Paul lets us know that God does not discriminate on basis of race, nationality, or culture. Back in the third chapter of the book of Romans, Paul declared in Romans chapter 3, verse 22, there is no difference, he said, between the Jew, and the Greek. But in that verse, he was pointing out that they were equal in regards to sin. They're both sinners. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter what culture you come from. He said in Romans 3 and 23, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. It, it No no nationality is reserved from that. No ethnicity is reserved from that. Everybody is guilty on the same level All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But now, in Romans 10 and 12, he's pointing out that just like the Jew and the Greek are the same in sin, they are the same in Salvation. The riches of God's grace are available to everyone who calls on Him in faithful obedience to the Word of God. He doesn't exclude anybody. Amen. He doesn't exclude anyone, anywhere, anybody who will turn their heart to it. Doesn't matter what their last name is. It doesn't matter what their history is. It doesn't matter what their culture, ethnicity is, it doesn't matter what their past and what they've done. It doesn't matter the sin that is in their life. Anybody who calls on the name of Jesus, anybody who turns their heart to Him, surrenders to Him, obeys the gospel of Jesus Christ, anybody can be saved. Amen? Verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So to support the statement of God's impartiality, Paul turns to Joel chapter 2, verse 32, and quotes it Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The point here, the emphasis here, is that anyone can be saved. The whosoever is what Paul is emphasizing. Many modern readers take this passage, and instead of focusing on the point that Paul was making, they focus on the latter half of that verse, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The emphasis here is the fact that anybody can be saved, not the method by which they are saved. The fact that we must call upon the Lord to be saved is not a mechanical formula for salvation that is somehow a new and improved different version than what was preached in the book of Acts. This is not a statement that a verbal confession with the mouth can save somebody from sin without obedience to the gospel message, without repentance, without water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, and without the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the idea that this verse alone institutes a different gospel message than that which was preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost or by the rest of the church in the New Testament, as well as by Paul in his own writings. That's not in harmony with Scripture. Amen? Brother Dennis, could you put Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 on the screen? Matthew, I'm going I'm to consider one verse of Scripture to make that point. And then we'll move on. Matthew 7 and 21 says. 21, there you go. About got me confused there for a minute. Matthew 7 and 21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now if you have a red letter Bible. These are words that are written in red. Jesus himself made certain that we understood that the mere confession that Jesus Christ is Lord is not enough to get you into heaven. Amen. That, apart from obedience, cannot save you. He said not everyone who says that he is Lord is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact, the only ones that are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven are those that do. The will of my Father which is in heaven. Amen. There takes some doing. there takes some obedience. there takes some, something more than just the declaration that he is Lord. But something that is put with it. Faith results in obedience to the word of God. You can go back to Romans now. So what is Paul talking about then? To call upon Jesus means to pray to him. To cast oneself completely at His mercy. To call on Him is to depend upon Him completely for the salvation of your soul. Genuinely calling on the Lord requires faith and genuine faith includes obedience to the gospel. If I declare that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life and then I refuse to obey the gospel message uh, that he has given to me to show me how to be saved, then my actions defy what my mouth has said. Amen. If I declare him to be Lord of my life, then I will without doubt, if I really believe that he is Lord of my life, I will will obey his word. I'll do what the scripture says I need to do. I will repent of my sins. I'll be baptized in his name, declaring him to be Lord, calling on the name of Jesus Christ in water baptism, and I'll be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. All of that will flow from my faith, my belief that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Some scholars see a particular reference to baptism in this verse. Indeed, it is the name of Jesus Christ that validates our baptism. When we are baptized, we call upon the name of the Lord because it is the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the only name that has the power to save us. Amen? Now, it's also interesting to note that Paul in this text is quoting from Joel chapter 2 and verse 32, which is the exact same verse that Peter quoted in Acts chapter 2 when he applied it to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. Paul's reaching to the same text that Peter reached to. He's not introducing a different message. He's not introducing a different method of salvation. He's preaching from the same Old Testament text that Peter preached from. He's just emphasizing the fact that anybody can do it. Whosoever will. What we see, and I want to point this out as well because it's very interesting to note. The prophet Joel promised salvation in his text. To all who would call upon the name of the Lord. The Lord, as Joel was stating it, was the Lord God Jehovah of the Old Testament. Joel never knew Jesus Christ as Lord. He didn't know the manifestation of God in the flesh. He only knew God as he existed in the Old Testament. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, Joel said, he's speaking of God, Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament, the ancient of days, the one who was and is and forever will be. But Paul applies that promise to all who call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ. And I point this out every time we run across it in the book of Romans because it just validates the fact that, that to the first century church there was absolutely no distinction between the identity of Jesus Christ in the New Testament and the identity of Jehovah God in the Old Testament. They didn't think it strange at all to take a scripture that applied to God, uh, the ancient of days, uh, and apply it to Jesus Christ uh, because they understood uh, that he that was and he is and forever will be was made flesh, uh, amen, and dwelt among. Among us, uh, and was crucified at a cross uh, and raised from the dead on the third day. They didn't have any problem at all saying that He is Lord God. And if you call on Him, you will be saved. Amen. Verse 14 says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? The final portion of today's text, verses 14 through 17, explain to us how people can have the kind of faith that is necessary for them to be saved. The point of this passage is to demonstrate that the Jews have had every opportunity to believe. They've been given the same opportunity that everyone else in the world will receive. And Paul uses a series of rhetorical questions. Everybody knows what a rhetorical question is. Doesn't need an answer. You ask a question, you already know the answer to. Paul uses a series of rhetorical questions to list in reverse order the steps needed to come to the kind of faith that calls on Jesus Christ for salvation. Now, I'm going to list them in the order they go in. So I'll be listing them in reverse the way that Paul has stated them. I'm going to start with the final step, which is actually the first phrase of verse 15. So, Daniel, if you'll show me verse 15 for just a minute. It begins with this phrase, and how shall they preach except they be sent? You can go back to verse 14. The first step is sending preachers of the gospel. And how shall they hear without a preacher? The second step is actually preaching the gospel. The third step is hearing the gospel. The fourth step is believing in Jesus Christ. And the fifth and final step is calling on Jesus Christ. How shall they call in him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Amen. Now, the only way to be saved is to to follow those steps. There has to be A preacher that comes and preaches the gospel. There has to be somebody who comes and makes you aware of the fact that you need to call on the name of Jesus. You need to obey him. You need to surrender to him. You need to allow him to work in your life. One who is lost must have a preacher to preach the word, must hear the word of God, must receive the word of God and respond to it by calling on Jesus in obedience to the gospel. That's the way we're saved. Amen? Now, it's interesting to note that God does not consider those who have never heard the gospel to be innocent. If they were innocent, there'd be no need to send a preacher. Amen? If those who have never received the gospel were innocent in the eyes of God, there would not be the command to go send a preacher to go preach to them the gospel. The first three chapters of Romans taught us that all men have an opportunity to know God through nature and conscience. And all men are condemned as sinners, whether they're judged by the law of God or by their own conscience, because they had the opportunity to see there's a God. Amen? We discussed this at length back in I guess 2013 or early 2014. Amen. We discussed this at length back when we were there. Amen. How that the, the nature itself, the, the mountains, the the seas, the, the stars in the sky, the creation that is around us declares the fact that there must be a creator, that God wants to be known. And he extends an invitation to humanity to know him just by the work of his hands that we see. And every man will be held accountable for the fact that there is a God to which he should have surrendered his life just by the fact that he lived in this world and beheld the wonder of God. Amen. The only hope of salvation, though, is by Genuine faith in Jesus Christ, which results in obedience to the gospel message. However, without the preaching of the gospel, the lost cannot be saved because they cannot have faith in him of whom they have not heard. Amen? That brings us to verse 15. And how shall they preach? Except they be sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. This is the end of the progression. It is the first necessary step towards seeing the lost, saved. Preachers must preach. Somebody must go tell the story. This verse underscores two very important facts. First of all, the lost cannot be saved without a preacher. The hope of salvation rests upon men and women who will declare the gospel message to the lost. And secondly, this is not talking about an exclusive group of people who minister from behind a pulpit. We are all evangelists of the cross. Our world is our mission field. And we are all preachers of the message of grace and salvation that was declared to the world from the cross of Calvary. And the world desperately needs men and women who will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. It is the only way that the lost can be saved is if a preacher preaches truth to them. And we're not just talking about people with Bible college degrees. We're not just talking about people who lead church organizations. We're talking about anybody who's been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, has a commission, go ye therefore and teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should challenge each and every one of us to do more than we have ever done before, to preach the gospel message to our world. The people that we touch, the people that we influence on a day-to-day basis desperately need Jesus. And how will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And who will preach to them if you don't? Verse 16 says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Unfortunately, not everyone who hears the gospel obeys it. Not everyone that you share the gospel with is going to receive it. In fact, many will reject it. Many will turn it aside. That doesn't change the fact, though, that we are responsible for, at the very least, giving them the chance to either accept or reject the gospel message. How are they ever even going to have the chance to believe except they hear? Amen? Now, it's no doubt that Paul had the Jews in mind when he wrote this scripture. So many of them had heard the gospel preached to them and had rejected it, refused to believe and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice that didn't stop him. He still preached the gospel to the Jews. He still went and reached to them in hopes that he might snatch even just a few from the fires of hell before it was too late. It is incumbent upon me to point out here The very important link that exists between belief and obedience, and that is established again in this text. The people who heard the message did not believe. That's what the quote from Isaiah says. But Paul equates unbelief, or Paul equates unbelief to a lack of obedience, they didn't believe. So they didn't obey. They've not all obeyed the gospel because they did not believe our report. It's important. It's very important to note that if they had believed, they would have obeyed. In Paul's mind, obedience or lack of obedience is the same as lack of faith. They did not believe so they did not obey. And it's, the contrary is also true. In Paul's mind then, faith includes obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you believed, you would obey. Amen. That, again, and we've established it over and over again through the course of studying the text of the book of Romans. But that underscores, again, the importance of... Faith, saving faith, is more than just mental assent. It's more than just saying with my mind, I believe that Jesus is Lord. If I believe, I will obey. And if I have not obeyed, then I have not believed. That's what the scripture says. Amen. Verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing The word of God. They cannot believe and obey in a a gospel that they have not heard. They cannot respond to a message that they haven't heard. There are people who have not yet heard the truth expounded to them. How can they obey it if they have not heard it? Is it possible then that if you keep your peace... And hold back the knowledge that you have of the truth. That you could be guilty of condemning those that you're hoping not to offend. To an eternity in hell. Because they didn't know. Because they never heard. Because nobody ever told them. I want you to think about it this morning. It is very possible... That some will be lost because they never heard the truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ preached to them. And it would be a shame if some of those that never hear a presentation of the gospel of Jesus have within their circle of acquaintances, people that they deal with on a day-to-day basis, apostolic believers who have the message of truth that they so desperately need to hear. Not all of those who hear will obey. But if they never hear, they'll never have a chance to obey. That truth alone should challenge every believer under the sound of my voice to be a greater evangelist to the message of the cross this year than you've ever been before. We should all be challenged to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost world every chance we get to each of those around us that, that, that don't know the truth to expand to them the opportunity to give them the chance to know the truth before it is too late to reach for them to preach to them to tell them them this gospel message before it becomes too late for them. All too often, our testimony is silenced in the name of political correctness. We've been taught by our society that some things like politics and religion don't belong in the public realm. They're not the kind of thing you want to talk about. It's okay for you to be a believer, but you should keep your faith to yourself. It's okay for you to believe the Word of God, but you ought to live and let live, and you ought to let others be the way they are. But I come to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. As a believer, you have been entrusted with a burden for a lost world. People are dying without hope. People are dying who have never heard this message preached. And you and I have the word that they need to hear. We have the message that needs to be delivered to them. And it is our responsibility to share that word with them before it is too late for them. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. You and I are the messengers that are supposed to deliver that word to a lost world. The rain has been relentless. And in this small town, the floodwaters are rising. As Mike and Michelle ventured into their basement to check and see if any water was getting into their home. What they discovered there alarmed them. Water was seeping in under a basement window along the south wall. They began to push boxes of clothing and toys to the center of the basement in an effort to protect them from the water that was gathering there when the unthinkable happened. The basement's west wall collapsed, and a flood of cold, muddy water rushed in and engulfed the room, covered the stairs. It surged to a depth of eight feet in just a matter of seconds, and the couple was trapped against the opposite wall, pinned in place by debris and trash, and unable to do much more than just barely hold their heads above the water and cry out for help. And so they screamed at the top of their lungs. Their children heard them and responded. They said, go get the neighbor. Go get somebody. We need somebody to help us get out of this basement. And so they ran next door to the neighbor's house, screaming at the top of their lungs, Mom and Dad are trapped by the flood water in the basement. John was a retired Marine who was stopped behind a disabled car in a flooded intersection. He heard their desperate cry. Without a second's thought, he looked around for something he could use. He grabbed an axe out of the back of his truck, and he rushed into that home. Brother Donnie, when that west wall collapsed, it ruptured the gas main coming into the house, and that house had filled, began to fill with natural gas. It was a dangerous environment. When John ran in, he realized the couple was trapped somewhere below the living room floor, and so he took his axe and he began to chop a hole through the living room floor. Before long, a next-door neighbor ran over and began to help him as they began to chop through the floor, and 45 minutes later, he reached his arm through that hole in the floor, and Michelle managed to grab a hold of it, and he pulled her to safety. By that time, the two rescuers were dizzy from the gas that they were inhaling, and they, they carried Michelle out to safety, but they didn't hesitate. They turned around with the help of three volunteer firefighters who had showed up, and they began to run back into that home to desperately chop at another place in the floor to try to get Mike out before it was too late. Those men never considered their own well-being. They never considered the fact that they were putting their lives at risk To save the life of another they just went back in and did what the situation required them to do. And with a little effort, a whole lot of uh, of putting themselves out there, they managed to pull Mike from the flood water before it was too late. That's what happens in an emergency. The urgency of the situation overrides your sense of self-preservation. The last thought on your mind is saving yourself. The only thing you can think of is saving that person that is so desperately in need of salvation. It is high time that we as a church realize the urgency. The situation that we're in. We need to recognize that our world is quickly deteriorating, and the people that are around us, though they may not realize it, are in the middle of a spiritual emergency. The world is marching to the cadence of prophetic fulfillment all around us. The signs of the times are telling us that the day is short, that the hour is at hand, that the day is quickly fading, and the night is coming where no man can walk. Work. Uh, The coming of the Lord is quickly upon us. uh, And we're surrounded by men and women who are in dire danger of being lost for all of eternity. And it would be an absolute shame if we allowed our sense of self preservation, our fear of public humiliation, to silence our voice in this critical hour. If they only recognize how much they needed to hear the gospel. And if we only would take the chance to share with them the gospel that could save them. Today, I recognize that it's just a comfortable Sunday morning. There are no floodwaters rising in this auditorium. But I want you to see a world the way it really is. I want you to realize how desperate the situation is Really is. I want you to consider the fact that there are people around you who have so little time, such a small opportunity left. The Lord may not come tomorrow, and He may not come the day after, the day after that. But somebody that you know in your circle of acquaintances may be in a funeral home before the week is over. They don't have the time that. They think they have. They don't have the opportunities that they they think they're going to have. They desperately need someone to preach the gospel to them. They desperately need someone to share with them a message of truth before it is too late. If we only knew how desperate the situation really is, if we only understood how immediate the threat really is, it would become more important to us to preach the gospel than anything else in our lives. Today it is the first Sunday of a new year. If you would stand with me this morning. Brother Ryan, if you'd come. This morning, the first Sunday of 2016, I want to challenge you to be a greater evangelist of the cross than you have ever been before. Let this be the year that you truly reach your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make up your mind here right now, today, this morning, that no one among your circle of acquaintances, no one among your friends and lost family members is going to go into eternity without at least having had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not accountable for what you do with it but I am accountable for telling what I know. I'm not accountable for how it is responded to, but I am accountable for sharing this gospel that I have. I can't do any more than chop a hole in the floor and reach my arm down into the flood waters. You got to be willing to get a hold of it, but I got to promise you something. You can't have the chance uh, to get out of that flooded basement if somebody doesn't chop a hole in the floor and reach down to where you are. God is calling His church uh, in 2016 to be. Become evangelist of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to tell it wherever you are, to whoever you find, to tell somebody, to let somebody hear that message, the only message that can save them, that can give them hope. I'm asking this morning for the church to find a place of prayer and an altar and commit yourself.